Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Aussie Toffee Everton podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Blanco, and here today we are brought to you by Outside Football and Hellos Media. Links in the description down below for those two platforms. Now, today, this is the first episode of the Aussie Toffee podcast, so of course, we need to do a bit of housekeeping rules over here. This podcast will be posted every single Tuesday on both YouTube for a video podcast and then all of the other audio platforms, so Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify. It'll be on everything, so if you listen to audio podcasts, us, then it'll be there for you. It'd be great to put on your drive home. You know, you're going home from work, you want to hear some stuff about the Toffees, go ahead, put this on every single Tuesday. We're going to be going through every single week for this foreseeable future. We'll be going through a match review, we'll be going through a match preview, and then we're going to do Everton news and other different topics in the middle sandwiched in between those two things. If you can't watch the full podcast, the clips will be posted up on YouTube. So both the match review and the match preview will be posted on Wednesdays will be the match review and Fridays will be the match previews. So if you can't catch the full podcast, you can get the clips of those different segments. If you want to just hear my thoughts on the match or if you want to hear my thoughts on the match that will be coming up in the next weekend. But without further ado, let's get into the match review. Starting off with our match. First game of the season, Everton 3, Southampton 1, back at Goodison Park. Obviously, it was great to have the fans there once again, just to hear the noise of a real authentic crowd and not the noise of some MP3 clip that they just clipped up from a match day one time on the TV. It was great to see. It was great to see the fans in there. It was great to see a full Goodison. It was good to see Goodison bouncing, singing, and getting into the match and pushing the players on in that second half more specifically. Like, that was really a really good effort it was good to see players like Richarlison really thrive off the crowd it was good to see players like Alan and Decore who have never experienced a pack Goodison like that to really sort of thrive off that and I thought Decore did so specifically well um and it was just great to see a packed Goodison and it obviously helped with the result um but we'll get more into it in a second here obviously in terms of a little bit of match statistics and that sort of stuff. Uh, we had 48% of the possession and then Southampton had 52%. Uh, we had 14 shots and 6 on target. Southampton had 6 shots and 3 on target. And of course, possession always doesn't always match up to what you do in the match. And I think we saw that a lot, especially under the Carlo Ancelotti regime where we sort of gave up possession under Carlo a lot. I don't think we sort of wanted to give up possession here against Southampton. It was just sort of more the way of the style that we played specifically more towards the end of that second half is sort of lent to be more uh, possession-based for Southampton, which again, doesn't matter if you don't do anything with that possession and Southampton didn't really do a lot with that possession. Obviously, we have to talk about it. In the 22nd minute, Michael Keane makes an absolute shock horror mistake. I don't know what the hell he was doing. I don't know if he was if he was just got it tangled up in his feet or, or he couldn't see anyone to pass it to. If you get into that situation, mate, just kick it. Just hoof the ball out of there. There's no point playing this fancy football. You're a center back. You're meant to just whack it. Just get clear of the ball. But he doesn't do that. Che Adams and Adam Armstrong really did a number on our center backs today. And I'll get more into that later. But the pressing that those two lads did, Armstrong's press on the Michael Keane mistake. And then that finish, that finish was really, really good, by the way. Very, very good finish from Adam Armstrong there. And we're 1-0 down after a 20 minutes that I would say we started off very lively. We started on the front foot. You had Andros Townsend, Demario Gray doing really well on the wings. Demario Gray more through the middle in that first half. And I thought Andros Townsend with the crosses that he was putting into Dom, I thought, honestly, we could have been 1-0 up. In, in that first 20 minutes. Like we should have been 1-0 up within that first 20 minutes. But it's just that chemistry. And Dom not 
knowing exactly how to play with a player like Andros Townsend, someone who's going to whip a ball in first and think to tippy-tappy play it around later, you know, that sort of thing. So it's just going to grow over time, that chemistry between those two players. And I think that is definitely something that we can build upon. Um, and, and I think that's something that we, we are going to build upon and that's something that we can definitely play to our strengths because obviously Dom is the best header of the ball in the Premier League. And I think statistically wise, it that backs it up. So again, it proves to the game plan that we set out with, especially within the first 20 minutes to get the ball into the box, let Dom attack it and let's see what happens there. And I think that that's something that we are definitely going to play across throughout the entirety of the season. Uh, but obviously that mistake came in the 22nd minute and I felt like you know, it was a lot of, from the 22nd minute onwards until the end of the first half, it was very sort of weird because it was like, okay, that goal goes in and it's like, okay, Everton are back again and then it's just that you're just going through the motions like especially on twitter and you see everyone's like oh my god get rafa out agent rafa uh we're gonna get relegated like all of this mumbo jumbo overreaction garbage like i wasn't overreacting to that extent i thought at the end of that first half specifically we didn't play very well especially with the packed goodness and you think you get the fans there you get the fans to push the players on but i think as well as that when that goal went in and especially in the manner that they scored that goal as well. It sort of deflated the crowd a little bit. Um, and it sort of just, it, it, it was just a weird ending. Like that. it was a weird 20 or so minutes up until the end of that first half where you just sort of, you're, you're sitting there and you're watching and I don't know what it was like at Goodison because obviously I live in Australia. Um, but I was, I was, as I was watching that game and I'm just thinking, man, like where is the goal coming from? Because we did it, we looked deflated. We looked like we were trying too hard to get that goal. And I think that Richarlison was doing a bit too much on that left-hand side. I think that we were playing with the ball a bit too much and like we just tried to control that game and it didn't, and it wasn't working. So I think for that first half and, and within that first half, I was sort of just sitting here and I was just thinking, oh man, can we just get another goal and then get at least a draw from this game? Like that was my mindset going into that first half, just get another goal come out here with at least a point and then we go on to next week. And obviously that wasn't the idea from the manager and we'll get more into that, but that was my thinking. And I'm sure that's what a lot of you guys at home were thinking as well. It was definitely a tale of two halves, that game. Um, and I think if you watch highlights, you would never understand that. Like if you would have just watched this game with a, from a three minute highlight reel, you wouldn't get how different that game was from first to second half because first half, it was 20 minutes of, okay, this is the Premier League. We're back again. Full fans at Goodison. Like, it's all nice. Then the goal goes in, and then it's just deflation. And then the second half, as soon as we started that second half, I had a good feeling about the second half. I had a good feeling about at least getting a goal back, but I had a really good feeling about winning the game because we came out in that second half, and the tactical changes that the manager made in that second half were something that we would have never seen under Carlo. And I'm not afraid to admit that. Like, when Carlo left, I was devastated. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is the end of my supporting Everton thing. I was devastated because it was another manager leaving the club. It was another summer of, dist- uh, like, destabilization or destability. That's the word. Um, and it was just going to be another manager in the dugout where, for the longest time, all I wanted Everton to do was have a manager for two seasons at least. Um, and I know we had that under Marco, Marco Silva, but then he got, he got sacked the second season. So I sort of just wanted to get 
and have a manager and especially a manager like Carlo, like a big name, someone who's won literally everything, uh, someone that can attract players, even though that we don't have European footballs, like we saw the likes of Alan and James Rodriguez coming because of him. And then I sort of was not amazed by Rafa and I, and I wasn't like Rafa was not the name on, on the top of my list. Like, and I don't think any Evertonian or, or, or anyone, I don't think he would have been top five of any of our lists, but then you look at the manager that he is. And besides the point of the Liverpool link, like, and for me, right, I'm only 21. So, and I only started supporting Everton in 2011. So Rafa wasn't even Liverpool manager by the time that I started supporting Everton. But I understand for, for the older Everton fans who um, knew Rafa back in OA when he said those things about Everton being a small club and that sort of stuff. I understand where the feelings come from. But obviously right now, you look at the manager that he is. He's won Champions Leagues. He's won he's won trophies before. He's, a, he's kind of a similar manager to Carlo in the way of accolades, but obviously not to that caliber just yet. But what he is, he's a coach. Carlo was a very hands-off coach. Carlo was very much, we saw the, what he said to the players, like when he left, like he just told the players to go play. And we saw how he was in the Tottenham, in the Tottenham game where it was like 5-4, if I remember the score correctly. And he's just over there sipping his coffee. What I saw different with Rafa and what we've seen different with Rafa throughout the whole preseason and his interviews and everything like that is he's a coach. And that is what this squad of players need. They need a coach. They don't need someone to just tell them to go play because they're not Cristiano Ronaldo, Luka Modric, Marcelo, uh, Gareth Bale, Benzema. Like they're not those world-class players. They are good Premier League players that need coaching. So that is what Rafa brings. Rafa's a coach. He will, we've seen it. I think there was an interview with Andros Townsend where he said that during a training session, he did a stupid skill and it led to them not scoring a goal in a training. And then Rafa pulled him aside and for 10 minutes told him why he shouldn't do that. Rafa's a coach. And that is exactly what I am liking about Rafa as our manager is because this group of players suits Rafa as a manager. This group of players didn't suit Carlo as a manager. If this group of players was 11 superstars, then sure, Carlo Ancelotti is a manager for that. But this group of players needs a coach, someone that will drill a style of play into them and someone that will drill them fitness-wise, someone that get them in peak fitness and condition for the Premier League. And that is what Rafa is. Rafa is that type of manager, a manager that will get the ideas into the players so that they will execute them. And he's not afraid to cut a Hammers Rodriguez. And I know Hammers wasn't cut, but this is just an example. He's not afraid to cut a Hammers Rodriguez because Hammers doesn't want to play in 38 games of the season, or he doesn't want to run around, or he doesn't want to press, or he doesn't want to do what he wants him to do. Rafa will play the 11 players that do what he wants them to do. And that is what I like about him. And that is what I like about that second half because he wasn't afraid to make a tactical change. If it was under Carlo, then we would have probably want, like got a goal back and then maybe sat and then sat back for a result. Or maybe we wouldn't even got a goal back and we concede another goal because nothing would have changed within the system. We would have just told the players to go play and then nothing would have changed. But what we did within that second half is they switched Michael Keane and Mason Holgate around. So 
from my understanding, Michael Keane was starting on the left side of the centre-back pairing, and then they just switched it around so that Michael Keane was on the right, and Mason Holgate was on the left, so that Michael Keane would have dealt with that physicality of Che Adams more, and then uh, Mason Holgate could deal with a little bit more of the pace of Adam Armstrong, which worked. So the switching of the centre-backs and where they're positioned worked. They also moved Damari Grave out from the middle of the pitch more, it seems, out onto the left-hand side, and then sort of started playing with two strikers, with Richie playing off of Dom, and that worked really, really well, because not only did it free up Richie to do what he does best, and that score goals, but it also gave us a bit more, I want to say, width, because you had Andros off the right, who was giving us great width, and Seamus as well, Seamus was sort of bombing up and down and doing his thing, um, and, and, I thought, and I thought Seamus had a really good game as well, um, but we had that width on the right, but we didn't necessarily have that width off of the left. The Southampton right back, uh, what's his name? Uh, Liveramento. He was really locking down Richarlison. And I don't know if that's down to fatigue or whatever it was, but he was really locking down Richie, which means Luca Dean wasn't even able to bomb on that much. Like he wasn't really doing that much in the first half in terms of going up and down the pitch, getting balls into the box like we know that he can. But once... Damari Gray went on to the left-hand side. Damari's pace was a really, really big factor in dealing with Liveramento and his defensive capabilities, but it also freed up Luca Dean to sort of come up on the overlap and so that they could sort of play off of each other. And that pace and that power that Damari brought to the left-hand side really, really helped us open up the pitch. And obviously having two strikers in the middle of the caliber of Dom and Ritchie also let us sort of play better football. And I thought also the tactical change of letting Decore bomb up more let Decore be more of an attacking midfielder and again we saw an interview with Decore this week where Carlo wanted him to play more of a defensive role but if you know him from his time at Watford you know he's a man that likes to get into the box and score goals as well and contribute that way he's a pure box-to-box midfielder and that is what Rafa's letting him do get up into the pit get up into the final third of the pitch score goals and we saw that with his goal in the 76th minute that little pirouette turn that he did, you never really thought he was going to get the ball under control and then he smacks it in the top right-hand corner. And the little tactical nuances and the little tactical changes that we have that we saw in the second half just shows that Rafa knows what he's doing. He he knows how to get these players wins. He knows how to get wins. He he realizes and he acknowledges when he's when it's not working. Because in the first half, I think we really tried to play this sort of like tiki-taka, pass the ball around the back, you know, get it to the left-hand side, and then swing it to the right-hand side, and then maybe go, and then get it to Andros, and then Andros will pass it in, and and cross it in, or whatever, and, um, and I'm just thinking, it, it wasn't working, and then, and whatever we did in the second half, whether that be the tactical changes, or whether that be the managers just saying, just go direct, long ball FC, get the ball into the final third, let's make something happen here. That was probably that was the change that that made that second half such a stark contrast to the first. Because as I said, definitely a tale of two halves. Um, I want to talk about our debutants for a little bit. Uh, Demario Gray and Andros Townsend. I thought they were very solid. I really thought they were solid. I thought Andros was great on that right hand side. I thought he was really good tracking back and getting tackles in more so second half than first. And I thought his deliveries were very very crucial. And I think that as this squad sort of gels together, we will they will learn, especially Richie and Dom, will learn how to feed off of those Townsend crosses. Now, Andros Townsend was never going to be the flash signing that Leon Bailey was, right? Or 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 a Hervig Lozano, or an Anthony from Ajax. But what he is, is exactly what this squad needed. 
a dead ball specialist, a crossing specialist, and just a good Premier League player. He's not the most amazing signing, and I wasn't infatuated by the signing of Andros Townsend from Crystal Palace on a free, but what he is is a good Premier League player, and he suits the strengths of this squad. He really does, because you, you, you attach the best header of the ball in the Premier League with one of the most consistent crossers in the Premier League, and you will get results, and we will definitely be seeing results. Now, he didn't get an assist off of a cross. He got an assist off a header, which is interesting. But what he brought to that team, and as I said, as the team starts to gel and as the team starts to fit better with him, then we will only see better results. Richie will score a bunch of headed goals this season. Dom will score a bunch of headed goals this season because he's on the pitch. And I thought a very, very solid debut from, from Andros Townsend. I'm very happy from what I saw from him and I hope that it continues. Uh, Damari Gray as well. I thought first half, he was very in and out of the game. He tried some things. It didn't necessarily work. I thought, the I thought again, what he brings in, in terms of pace, explosivity, crossing ability was very, very good. I thought his role down the middle didn't necessarily suit him. He definitely looked more comfortable out wide on the left. And I hope, and I think that that's where Rafa is going to continue to play him, either off the left or the right now. Um, but, I, but I thought he had a really, really solid game, uh, especially in that second half, especially with his pace, dealing with Liveramento. And I think that he just definitely brought pace to this Everton team, something that I haven't seen. Like last year, we had no pace on our team. You had Richie off of the left, Hammers off of the right. Hammers isn't going to have bundles of paces and he's going to cut through the middle. And you look at that squad that we had last season, our fastest player was Ben Godfrey, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, which would probably be our three fastest players in that team. And now you have Andros. Andros doesn't have a, a bunch of pace, but he has a bit of pace. And then you have Damari Gray, who adds a lot of pace to that team, which allows us to get forward. It, it, say we're are, are on a fast break, right? Damari's pace doesn't mean we have to wait for people to come with us. Say if Dom gets a ball in his chest and he's on the halfway line, he's not waiting for Richarlison to go from the penal our penalty box all the way up to him. Or he's not waiting for Hammers to do that or Decore to do that. Someone like Richarlison and Damari Gray and Andros Townsend will allow us to be more fluid and allow us to counterattack a lot better. And I think that's what we're going to need, especially in the games against the big teams like your Cities and your Chelsea's and that. We're going to need some pace to utilize the counterattack a lot better than what we would have last season. And last season, it worked very, very well in away games. And if you add a bit of pace into that sort of game plan, then you're going to see better results. So I think both Andros and Damari had very, very good debuts, uh, debuts for us, especially Pat Goodison. You know, the pressure's on them to sort of, because obviously you have fans in the ground that weren't too enamored by their signings. Obviously, Damari Gray for 1.5 million there, there or thereabouts. Didn't do too well at Leicester. Went to Bayer Leverkusen. Didn't do much there. Comes to Everton and it's sort of like, okay, let's see what you can do there. And obviously, Andros free transfer to Crystal Palace was never going to enamor anyone either. But both had very solid debuts. And you can definitely see that there's a plan to the transfers. And that is something that I cannot stress enough. There's a play into the transfer of those two players. Those two players were brought in for a reason. That reason being getting balls into the box and getting pace on the wings, which is exactly what we needed. And it's definitely clear to see that plan was there to bring players of that quality amidst all the FFP uh, nonsense, if you if you will. Uh, moving on from there, uh, I sort of wanted to end on this point here. Um, if we, let's say that game was under Carlo, and I, I sort of alluded to this a little bit earlier, I don't think we would have won that game. 
And even if we did go 2-1 up in that game, I think for 40 minutes or whatever it was, 30 minutes or 20 minutes of that game, we would have sat back and just let Southampton attack, attack, attack. Because that's what happened in the 3-2 against Fulham last season away. We were, I think, I'm pretty sure we were 3-0 up or or 3-1 up or something like that. And then they and then they score a second. And all we did for like 20 minutes of that game is sat back. And you're watching that game and you're thinking, we're going to concede here. There's no way we don't concede here. Thankfully, we didn't. But that, and, th- and then this game right here is sort of, was the same sort of resemblance. We could have, under Carlo, just sat back and, and, and let them attack us and, and just soak up pressure until the final whistle and sort of let 2-1 be the result. But we didn't. It was 2-1 and then instantly, or five minutes, it was 3-1. And then as soon as it was 3-1, we tried to score another goal. We tried to go for 4-1. Alex Awobi missed a shot there that could have made a 4-1. And we kept attacking. We didn't just sit back and, granted, he brought Yeri Mina on in the last couple of minutes to sort of show us up defensively. But we kept going. We wanted that fourth goal. And that is not something I've seen from this Everton team. I've seen this Everton team go up 2-1 and sit back for 20 minutes and be happy with that. But what I've seen from this Everton team in this game, and I'm not going to go overboard here because it's just one game, but what I saw from this performance in the second half was a team that wanted to put them to the sword. They didn't want to just be happy with the with a 2-1 win. They wanted a 3-1. They wanted a 4-1. They, maybe they even wanted a 5-1. Like They just kept wanting to put goals in the back of their net. And that is exactly the sort of fight and the desire we need from this Everton team is not to just be happy with a 2-1 especially against teams like Southampton, teams like Burnley, like those lower tier teams. Say if this was, if we were 2-1 up against Liverpool, I don't think we would be still gone for a third or a fourth. I think Rafa would be sort of knowledgeable enough to sort of bring on Yerry Mina, make it the five at the back, and let's consolidate defensively. But against these lower league teams, put them to the sword. Genuinely, put them to the sword. Because... What I saw from this Everton team, putting them to the sword in the way that they did, DCL getting his third goal, uh, it will be almost scoring the fourth. That is something I've never seen from this Everton team. Uh, well, not never, but something I haven't seen from this Everton team for a very long time. And I'm very happy that that sort of mentality is being instilled within the players. And that's something that I think we can only benefit from moving forward. Uh, and I think that's sort of it from for the match review. Very solid game. Very, very solid uh second half solely first half was a little bit tailored two halves type of game but obviously we get the three points that's very good Rafa gets his first win under his belt which is also good uh fans back in the crowd which is very good as well um and yeah three points so there's not much more you can really ask for there let's move on to a bit of news bit of news obviously the news at the moment is really going to be dominated by transfers as we are within the transfer window that does end in a couple of weeks time and Everton looking to do some more business as the window comes to a close uh the biggest thing is probably right back now Seamus had a very very good game I thought at least in that game against Southampton but of course uh we do need a right back John Joe Kenny I personally don't think that he's going to do anything really and I don't think he's good enough to be either a second choice right back or a first choice right back. So he's not the answer. Um, Obviously, Denzel Dumfries, who are linked with heavily throughout the entirety of the summer uh, leading up until this point, has moved to Inter Milan, uh, which is disappointing. I really wanted Denzel Dumfries. Um, I've watched him in the Euros and I thought he was really good there. I followed him through his PSV days and I thought he was really good at PSV. And I was a bit disappointed to know that we weren't going to get him. 
but it looks like we're looking towards the Aurelio Buta, a 24-year-old uh, right back from Royal Antwerp. He's a Portuguese right back, and we're apparently uh, looking at a fee of around 4 million euros. Now, that looks to be more within Everton's price range, obviously with the FFP and PNL uh, restraints at the moment. We can't really do our business, uh, which is uh, disappointing to say the least, and something that I'll probably get into more uh, in, a, in a future podcast, but for now... We can just sort of look at it and be like, damn you. Uh, <laughs> Aurelio Buta. A lot of people don't know who this guy is. And personally, for me, I know who this guy is. Um, and if you play career mode as well in FIFA, you'll know who this guy is as well. Very pacey right back. A right back that definitely likes to attack. And definitely within that mold of Denzel Dumfries that we've been sort of looking for in a right back. And a, and a mold of Seamus Coleman as well. Um, pacey right back gets up and down the pitch. Uh, likes to whip a ball into the box, and I think that he'd be a really good addition, especially for four million. He's 24 years old, and I think that a lot of people are saying that he may not be a starter. But if I'm honest, I think this guy's a starter, especially if he can adapt and acclimate to the Premier League. I think this guy could be definitely a starting right back for us. I don't think we can go another season with Seamus Coleman as our starting right back. I think this guy, I think Buta, if we do end up getting him, I think he's definitely the starting right back, and I think that he can definitely learn from Seamus a lot more, and I think that. Being the age that he is, that 24 years old, let's say we give him a three-year contract. And let's say he doesn't light the world on fire, but he does okay. We can definitely sell him on for longer or for a lot more than 4 million euros. So I think these sort of deals, buying gems, buying them low, selling them high is what we need to do. It's the Leicester model of transfers. And it's a model that we need to take a pay, like we need to take a page out of Leicester's book of transfers and do it their way. So I think that this Aurelia Buda signing would be really, really good. I see people underwhelmed with it. I see people say, why don't we go for Diego Dalla? Well, Man United don't want to loan him. Uh, why don't we go for Zaki Celik from Lille? He might be a little bit too pricey. Why don't we go for uh, Bustos or whoever? Like, I think this boot signing will be okay. Uh, Pacey right back, definitely something that we need. So I'm all happy with this one. For 4 million as well, it's really not that much. And it definitely fits the price bracket from what Everton seemed to be working with in terms of their financial budget and how they can work around uh, F, uh, uh, FFP. Sorry, I was trying to figure out the word there. FFP and PNL and that sort of stuff. Uh, moving on, we're also linked with uh, Matthew Hopp. From Schalke, another American striker from uh, the Bundesliga looking to make his way to the Premier League. Uh, we've been linked with a £2 million move. Uh, we've said to agree terms with his agent and all that sort of stuff. We just need to submit an official bid. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I don't know too much about Matthew Hopp. Uh, I'm not like that much into Schalke. I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't really seen this guy play. But for £2 million, American. American's a big thing, like especially... Uh, with the American market being the way that it is. Americans want to find other Americans to support within the world of football. So if we get an American on our books, that'll only boost our commercial uh, incentives. And as well as that, it will be really, really good for the American Toffees to have an American within our squad, which we haven't had in a very long time. So if he comes, it'd be a good backup to Dom. Uh, whether or not we keep Moise Keane or not will be interesting to see. So either he'll be second or third choice striker uh, yeah he's still very very young so someone who can develop especially with a coach like Duncan Ferguson there someone who can really take him under his wing revolutionize his game like he did with Dom I think that this could be a really astute signing for two mil and I wouldn't be against it as well because we do need another striker we can't go another season with just Dominic Calvert-Lewin being our only out and out striker in the team obviously I have a child who could play striker but I feel like he's going to be playing more out on the left this season more than anything 
So I think we definitely need another striker in the squad. And if this Matthew Hop guy is someone that Marcel Brands identifies and Rafa approves of, then why not for me? Uh, we need to talk about Andreas Pereira, who earlier in the week was linked with a move to Everton on loan, uh, according to Fabrizio Romano. Not the most amazing signing, I'm not going to lie. Imagine going from James Rodriguez to Andreas Pereira. That would be a little bit interesting, to say the least. Uh, but a loan move doesn't prove to be much of a... What do you call it? Much of a, a gamble, if that makes sense. Because if he doesn't work out on loan, he just goes back to Man United and then that's that. I think if we get him on a loan with an option to buy, then that will be a better move as well. Because... If, he, if we get him on loan, he does very well for us. And in Man United's eyes, his price increases. We already have that option to buy. So we'd be getting him on a cheap anyway. If we don't have that option in there and he does very well, then say Man United want 20 mil for him. And I think we can, we'll pay 20 mil for an Andreas Pereira, no matter how well he does for us. So I think having a, a, an option to buy there for what, like five or eight million, I think that'll be a little bit of a dispute signing there. What is he? Where does he even play? Uh, he scored a banger. Of a goal in preseason, by the way. I just want to add that. So that's something that's going for him, I guess. But honestly, don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where he plays because if we're playing like we did in the second half, it's more like a four-four-two. So and, and if you want Decore sort of attacking more, you still need that sitter where that would be like a Gabamon or an Allen or a Tom Davis. Maybe he plays that Decore role, more of a box-to-box midfielder, but he's more of an attacking mid. So, I, I don't know, I don't know, like, if it's a loan, sure, I'll take, like, we'll take that to bolster the stocks, but we have a lot of midfielders on the books, and I don't think Andreas Pereira improves the squad, I think he's just a piece, he's not, he does, he's not an improving, he, he, he's just a piece, if Rafa wants him, and if Marcel Brands thinks he can bring something, and they bring him on loan with an option to buy, why not, but for me, it's not my cup of tea, uh, and speaking of midfielders, another midfielder we've been heavily linked with this summer is Mateus Nunes from Sporting. Apparently that deal's still on. Apparently it was very close. And then Rafa came in and then it fell off. And now it's back again. I don't know. As well as that, where does this move fit as well? Because we have a lot of midfielders. Let's talk about our midfielders for a second. If you think about it, Hamas Rodriguez, Andre Gomez, Jean-Philippe Gabamon, Alan Decore, Tom Davis. That is oh, Fabian Delph. That is seven midfielders on our books right now. If you get rid of Andre Gomez, James Rodriguez, and Fabian Delph, then sure, bring in an Andreas Pereira and bring in an Mateus Nunes. But is Mateus Nunes someone that we really need? Earlier when we were linked with him, I sort of looked at his game a little bit. Obviously, I did the YouTube test and everyone looks good on the YouTube test, but he just looks like a tight midfielder. He's still very, very young. Uh, so someone that if we bring him in, can sell on for a value if he does very well in the Premier League. Um, I don't, for me, it's one of those sightings where I don't think we need it, but if we get it, it's fine. There, and if he does really well, then you're cheering, right? Yeah. But again, for me, I just don't know if we need it, and it, and especially because I don't know how we're gonna play. Are we gonna play with that formation we played in the first half of the Southampton game, where it's more sort of like a four-three-three or a four-two-three-one? Are we gonna play more like the second half, where it's more like a four-four-two, where if it's more of a four-four-two? then isn't Mateus Nunes really someone that you need in that midfield? So, uh, I don't know. I don't uh, It's, it, again, someone that, if we get him, sure. If we don't get him, then it is what it is. Uh, and finally, the last thing I want to talk about is Salomon Rondon, apparently linked with a move to Everton. Honestly, I wouldn't mind him. And, and I know a lot of people are talking about 
uh, Newcastle FC, and we're just turning into Newcastle, especially with the with the Longstaff rumors as well. And Longstaff is actually someone that I wouldn't mind. He would fit more with the whatever uh, um, system that we played in the second half, more of a box to box midfielder, someone that brings a lot of energy into the midfield. And he's more of a. But I would take him over an Andreas Pereira, but that's besides the point. Salman Rondon would be a great backup for Dominic Cavalloy because he does exactly what Dominic Cavalloy does, just a little bit, just worse. He's, he's just a worse Dominic Cavalloy. He's a big presence within the box. He will get onto headers. He'll, he'll hold the ball up, bring Richarlison, bring Damari Gray, bring Andros Townsend into the play. He's, he's that type of striker. So if he, let's say, for example, we get him on a free. I wouldn't be mad because that is an experienced Premier League striker. Obviously, did it at West Brom, did it at Newcastle. So I wouldn't mind if he came into the squad. Obviously, someone that has played with Rafa before. Rafa knows the player. So I think that's sort of intensifying the links there as well. And look, again, not the most amazing signing in the world. But it's a signing that fits the mold of player that we're looking for. Backup striker, big unit, heads the baller to the box, holds the play up. Look, why not? If that's the strategy they're going for, why not? And the last bit of news I wanted to talk about, stadium. Uh, Bramley Mordock Stadium, whatever it's going to be called, is under construction as of this week. And it's very exciting. Obviously, I think they're trying to get it ready for the start of the 2023-24 season. So we'll have about two years left or three years-ish left of Goodison Park. So obviously, if you live in Liverpool, if you can get to Liverpool, go there and enjoy it. I'm definitely going to try and get to Goodison before Goodison goes away. Um, It's obviously a little bit hard with all the COVID crap going on in the world at the moment. But that's besides the point. Um, I definitely want to get to Goodison before 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 she goes, and obviously I want to get to Bramley Mall Dock when that opens up as well. So, um, obviously if you can get to Goodison before she goes, definitely definitely go to Goodison before she goes. And obviously for the people with the season ticket holders as well, just enjoy it, just enjoy Goodison while it lasts because it's not going to be there forever. It's very exciting moving to Bramley Mall Dock, but it's also very sad leaving Goodison. So, but Bramley Mall Dock will just bring a whole bunch of uh, new revenue streams to Everton. It'll open up commercially. It'll it'll definitely help us in an FFP sense. So I think that Bradley Mordock is just going to be a big boost for both the city of Liverpool, but for Everton Football Club as well. Um, so I just want to say that there because the construction has begun and I'm very excited. There's also someone on YouTube that does drone flybys of Bradley Mordock. I think he does it every day. So if you want to do that, I can't remember his name, but if you look up... Bramley Mordock drone guy. I think he should be like the first result up there on YouTube. Um, but to end off the podcast, we're going to be doing our match preview. Obviously, we have Leeds away, a very, very tough fixture in the Premier League. Uh, look, <laughs> Leeds is tough. And we won there last season. It was 2 1. And it was one of those performances where they're all over us. We got two goals and we sat back and we got the win and that's all you needed to do in that game. It was actually a good performance. Like the Leeds performance last year away was very, very good. The home one, not so much, but the away one was was good. It was a good performance and they're going to have the advantage of fans in the ground again and obviously the Leeds fans will be bouncing and it'll be very, very tough for us. Leeds is a tough place to go. Ellen Road as an away team is a tough place to go. So we're going to have a tough fixture on our hands. We're going to have our, the, the home fans berating us. We're going to have our away fans trying to get the, the get get the boys on, get, get bouncing. Our away fans are excellent. Don't let anyone tell you that our away fans are awful and they don't sing or they don't do anything because our away fans are great um, and, and they are definitely going to be a key factor in pushing our boys on in terms of winning that game against Leeds. Um, obviously, they got spanked 5-1 against Manchester United on the weekend. So confidence-wise... 
maybe they won't be all there. But they also did that last season. I think they lost 5-2 to Man United last season as well. And obviously, they're not a, they're not as a defensive team. They're a well-oiled, well-drilled side that will outrun you on the pitch 99 times out of 100. But they're not a, they're not a fantastically defensively solid team. So I think for this game, what we do, I think personally for myself, is play the way we did in the second half against Southampton. Go with that 4-4-2. Be direct. Play them on the counter-attack. Don't play this tippy-tappy bullcrap because it won't work against Leeds because Leeds are fit as fuck. They will press the hell out of you. And we cannot do that tippy-tappy crap. Michael Keane cannot be on the pitch for Leeds United because he will get pressed out of his mind. And he and the ball will get stolen off of him and we'll have Adam Armstrong 2.0. It'll be Patrick Bamford sliding one in back of the net. So we need to play direct. We need to just get the ball to our third of the pitch and get it to Dom, get it to Richie, get it to Andros, get it to Damari. Uh, and, we, and we just need to play the way we did in the second half. More intensity, more of this, less of this side words, tippy-tappy bullcrap, more of this direct, aggressive football, counter-attacking as well. Because, great, that's what we did under Carlo last year against Leeds, uh, Leeds away. We sort of sat back, soak up the pressure, and then just got at them on the counter-attack. And that's what we did to a lot of teams last year away, and it worked. So I think we can definitely look at the Carlo blueprint add a little Rafa in there and then use that in our advantage to go ahead and, and win and win this game. Uh, we'll obviously have the five, we'll hopefully have the five players back from isolation for that game against Leeds. Obviously, uh, we had no Gabamon, no Godfrey, which is a big miss, no Hammers, no Moise Keane, and I don't know about the fifth player. I'm, I, I'm not too sure the fifth player was in isolation, but those four in particular... Uh, coming back into the squad will be a massive plus. Uh, obviously, Ben Godfrey was a massive miss on the weekend. He he is a massive miss. He's our best centre-back. I think him and Yeremina are our best centre-back pairing, and I hope that's the centre-back pairing that starts on the weekend and not Michael Keane and Mason Holgate. I think that Mina and Godfrey are our best centre-backs. If Mina can stay fit, and obviously Godfrey's a, a beast, them two are our best centre-backs. I do not do not want to see Michael Keane and Mason Holgate against Leeds United on the weekend because they will get bullied again. They got bullied by Che Adams and Adam Armstrong. They will get bullied by Patrick Bamford and that Leeds squad because they are fit. And not fit as in they look good. I mean, granted, they're good-looking lads, but they're fit as in they're conditioned to run around the pitch for 90 minutes and probably 90 minutes more than that. Marcelo Bielsa has them drilled to a T and they will be all over Mason Holgate and Michael Keane if they start on the weekend. Um, Yeri Mina is a ball magnet. He is someone that sniffs out danger. He just gets the ball out of there. If the ball's up up high in the air, he'll head it out. If the ball's down low, he'll make a block or, or, he'll, or he'll hoof it out of defense. He won't play around with it like Michael Keane did on the weekend or like Michael Keane did again against Man City last game of last season. So I think that Ben Godfrey and Yerry Mina need to be the centre-backs to start this game. We need a new centre-back pair. It can never be Michael Keane and Mason Holgate again. So, and obviously Ben Godfrey. We know, we know what Ben Godfrey gives. He gives everything for the shirt. He has pace. He's a big lad. He's a strong presence, and he's gonna. He, he's just. He's a future Everson captain. I'm just saying it right now. He's future Everson captain. I love that man. I love that man so much. Um, but yeah, obviously we need to be playing that way that we did in the second half of that Southampton game. And I think for a lot for for a lot of the um for the second half, we saw signs there that sort of uh, led to 
this sort of belief in the system that we were playing in that second half. And I think that the players responded well to whatever Rafa said in that second half. And I think that they reacted well to the change in system as well. And I think that if we continue that sort of streak of playing the way that we did against Leeds, it'll only boast well for us. I think that deliveries from Andros is going to be very, very uh, critical in the, in the game against Leeds. I think that Leeds, you look at Leeds, right? They play this sort of like 4-1-4-1 formation with Calvin, Calvin Phillips playing in front of the four in the back. And then sort of the, the, the rest of the five just sort of push and they press and they do that so well. But... For what it's worth, I don't think their centre-backs are all that good. Liam Cooper and, and Robin Cock, I, I don't think they're the best of centre-backs in the world. So if you have someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richie playing on those two guys, I think that they can definitely cause problems. And their centre-backs as well, Dallas and Ailing, they like to bomb on. They are attacking-minded fullbacks that, while yes, do defensive duties, they, that is not their job. So And then yeah, they have Junior Firpo as well, who's still acclimating to the Premier League. So... With Junior Furbo coming up against someone like Andros Townsend and Seamus Coleman down that right-hand side, I think that'll be very beneficial to us, especially because he'll look to want to bomb forward as well. And then you have Damari Gray and Luca Dean off the right, off the left-hand side attacking Luke Ayling. So I think for, for this game, again, sit back, soak up some pressure from Leeds, and, and then just go at them, direct counter-attack. Have Allen be sitting there in the sixth sort of role, cleaning up that, uh, midfield area in front of the back four and then have Decore Bombman as well and join the attack because think about it right you have that back four and they're sort of solid there and you have Allen in front of them and they're sort of just sitting there they're solid they're soaking up the pressure they're breaking down the play that Leeds want to do and then and then you have Decore bombing on you have Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison causing problems for their two center backs and you have Luke Dean and you have Damari Gray Andros Townsend Seamus Coleman bombing up from those wings I think we definitely cause some problems they're very sort of I wouldn't say they're exclusively a team that plays down the middle but a lot of their plays down the middle and that's because of their formation right and and I think that the bombing on of the the wingers and Rafinha is going to be a problem for us and I think that uh, even even to a certain extent, Patrick Bamford will be a problem with us. If we if we play Yerry Mina and, and Ben Godfrey, I'll be a, a little bit more sort of uh, happy with that pairing coming up against Patrick Bamford. But I think that Rafinha is going to be a definite issue. He's a, he's, uh, he's a really, really good player, someone that I really, really like. Um, and I think that he's going to be a problem for this Everton defense coming into this game. But I think, again, take the blueprint from last year's game. Soak up the pressure, play direct, play fast and get balls into the box for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Because again, as I said, I don't think those two centre-backs for, for Leeds United are going to do anything against Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. We get balls into the box, we get balls in troubled areas, they're, they're, they're going to cause some damage against that, that centre-back pairing. So we play to our strengths. We don't play their game, we play our game, essentially is what I'm saying here. We don't play that tippy-tappy crack because it's not going to work because they're just going to be all over us and we don't have the players that's capable to do the tippy-tappy crap. So we need to just play direct. Just get the ball to the man. Don't play the pass into space, pass to the man. And, and we just go at them. We come at them with intensity. Obviously for the first 20 or so minutes, they will have a big boost because they're in their home. They have the fans on their back. They'll have a bit of a boost there. So we need to sort of uh, negate their sort of negate that sort of push that they'll have and that adrenaline that they'll have within the first 15 20 minutes and sort of as soon as that sort of fire burns out then we go at them 
And I think that this game is going to be a very close contested game. Obviously, we're not Manchester United, so I don't expect us to put five goals past them. But what I did see from the Manchester United game was a Leeds team that, well, yes, ran around the pitch a lot and they got some decent opportunities. Not a whole lot, but they got some decent opportunities. Man United just ran all over them. As soon as that first goal went in, and as soon as the second goal went in, and granted, they scored one back, and, and it, it was just sort of like that Man United team didn't do anything too special. They just sort of played direct. And so, and like Leeds obviously pressed them and all that sort of stuff, but Man United didn't do anything special. They have special players. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes was key. Paul Ponga was key for them. But what they did was they just sort of gave it to their players and then let their creative players do what they did. And they just did hard running, Balls in behind the defense. And as I said, that defense that defense didn't really do much. Liam Cooper on, on FPL has got a minus one score. I, I didn't even know that was possible. I only started playing uh, F, FPL this year. I didn't even know minus scores are possible. Uh, so, I, so I think they will learn. Leeds will learn from that defeat to Man United. But I also don't know if they will that much. Because that's happened before. Leeds United are not a team that will defend. They're not a very good defensive team. So if we play on the counter-attack, get at them direct football, we're going to come out of this game on top. And I, I genuinely believe that. People before the season were starting saying that Leeds are going to get European spots. I didn't see anything from that Leeds team against Man United to show me that they are going to be a European team. They can see too many goals. And I'm not trying to bash on Leeds United because Everton are no better. But they're not a good defensive team. And we have players in Richie, in Dobb, in, in, in Townsend and Damari Gray that can really really hurt them and threaten them attacking wise so I think again play to our strengths soak the pressure play them on the counter attack and I think that's what we're going to do I think, and I think we need to take that blueprint from that second half that second half cannot just be a one-off performance we cannot uh, I, the second half against Southampton sorry that, that cannot be a one-off performance that cannot be a, a, something that we just did and then forgot about that we did like it would have been uh, under Carlo Ancelotti we need to play to our strengths. We know where the strengths in our squad are. The strengths in our squad are getting the ball into the box and letting Dominic Cavallo and Andrew Charles and Rod Riot in there. So we need to play to that. I think in terms of a score prediction, I'm going... I'm, I'm, I think I'm confident enough to go on with a 2-0 win. I think 2-0 is a solid result. Maybe even 1-0. I'm, I'm going to stick with 2-0. I'm going 2-0 Everton to win that game. And that'll be two games out of two that we win to start the Premier League season, then and obviously the next week we have Brighton. So I think this Leeds game is definitely the hardest game out of the three opening games. It's the game that's going to bring us the most sort of competition, I believe so. Um, but I hope that we will definitely come away with the win. So Everton to win that game 2-0. Um, I'm, I'm confident, especially after what I've seen in that second half. I'm confident that Rafa will set the team up in a way that will give us the win. And I'm confident that, that throughout the game, he'll be able to coach us through that game as well and make changes where needed, which is what we saw in that Southampton game. So I'm confident. I'm confident in the Everton 2-0 win to us. Um, but that's going to do it for your first episode of the Aussie Toffee podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, leave a like. If you're watching this or listening to this on Spotify and all those other platforms, definitely hope you guys enjoyed listening to my voice for about 47 or so minutes, about 50 minutes it'll be. Uh, make sure you come back next week. Obviously, next week on Tuesday, the next episode will be out. Uh, but yeah, hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you guys next week. See ya.